shall not say I'm out. Blog Talk right, Radio. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Cover. I am one of your hosts, John Robb, here with my great and wonderful, fabulous co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing great. How's it going? Doing pretty good. Uh, we got a little, we're waiting on our guest, Sean Parnell, to call in. Hopefully, um, he does call him. Uh, and then we're going to have Janine, yeah, and then we're going to have Janine Weiner on in the 8 o'clock show. But if he doesn't call him, you know, it just has to be us. That's okay. You know, we, we can easily fill the half hour because we haven't really done a show in a while where it's just kind of been the two of us just being able to talk back and forth and, you know, talk about what's going out, what's coming up, and certain things like that. But I want to remind everybody, of course, that all of our shows here on Suspense Radio are brought to you by Kensington Books. So please make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on all their authors and all their releases that they got coming out. And, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes. And pretty soon we're going to be taking the podcast um, and you should be able to get on Spotify and YouTube and Sound and all the other places I think that uh, we're going to do. So Ooh. that'll be interesting. So that'll be good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to get that all worked out, so we'll be getting all that done. But meanwhile, how you been? I've been doing good. Been uh, doing a lot of great reading, and, uh, you know, fall is interesting. Now yeah, what do you got going on? What, what are you over? reading right now? Uh, right now, actually, I'm reading Michael Conley's new book, Dark Sacred Night. Oh, okay, and, we got a uh, copy of that. Yep. Yeah, uh, you can't go wrong with Michael Conley. And I'm also currently reading uh, the new book by an author who's going to be on our next show. So um, yeah. we'll tell you what I think of that in our next show. <laughs> we'll drop the author. Who's the author next show? Uh, P.J. Tracy. P.J. Tracy. She, she does a series called Monkey Wrench, and they're a terrific series. And it was a mother-daughter duo writing, but this is the first book with just the daughter because the mother passed away. And, oh, that's yeah, right. So, yeah. yeah. But uh, still an amazing story so, so far. Yeah, I mean, yep. I, there's a lot of good books that, are, you know, that, that have come across and, and come out. You know the one thing I did, though, this weekend – and I was like, you know, I want to read. I was like, but do I want to read a book to review, or do I want to? Because I, I do BookBub, and I don't know if you do BookBub. I mean, we never talked about that, but you know, like you get books in the in your email every day, whatever genres you want to set. There's like 15 of them. You pick whichever genres are interested. They send you an email every morning, and it says these books are on sale, like dollar ninety nine, two ninety nine, ninety nine cents are free. So it's books in those range. Um, and I always look, I always just look for the free ones because typically they're. Some, they're, typically, they're older books, but out at least a year that they're trying to, you know, get more fans on. And, you know, you give away a free book, you're going to give away like 50,000 copies in the thriller category. Like, uh, like we've done that. And some of our books have, you know, 65,000, 70,000 copies have given away for free. And what that does is, you wow. know, it spurns hopefully more fans for the series. Because, you know, you try to give away like the first book in a series. If you've got like a four or five book series going on, give away the first book. People get the first book for free, and you hopefully capture – as many fans as you can that want to continue on your series, and you can grab some new fans that way. Um, not to mention, if you're only on Kindle Unlimited, you get a ton of Kindle Unlimited reads, at least for, the, for, for like the first two months, because your book gets pumped up, 
in those rankings. And so when people are looking at books, you see that this book is now popular. So people start looking at it and reading it, and then you hope they move on on their Kindle Unlimited and read the rest of the series. And you still get paid that way if you're an author, so you still get that. But there was a book that came a couple, uh, a couple months ago, and it was this book called Dark Voyage. And I'm like, oh, you know, this looks pretty interesting. So it was a free, so I grabbed it. And it was a and I never knew who this author was, and had no idea. I just really just I I, I looked at who the cover the and I said, um, Helen Swift. Oh no, let me see. She's uh, let me pull it up here. It's Helen something. Uh, maybe you've heard of her. Uh, she's done some. She and then I looked and she said, so yeah, Helen Susan Swift. I was right, Helen Swift. Um, the okay. book came out in 2014. She's done some romance, uh, but she, this book here is about, it's set in 1914, and it's kind of like a ghost story where there's a guy called um, Ian Cosgrove, just got married to a girl named Jennifer, and he's leaving on a research trip on this boat called the Lady Bag, Bag, uh, or uh, Balgay, like Balgay, B-A-L-G-A-Y, Balgay, Balgay, something like that. Um, and, there's also, and there's something she puts really cool in the book. Do you know why they have carvings of people in the front of ships no i don't okay now they she puts in the explanation of why i didn't look it up i'm going to take her word for it but i guess way back when is that when they launched a ship they used to do a human sacrifice to the god neptune to make sure the smooth seas so they would either run the a person over they would run the boat over a person or they would take the head and put the head on a stick in front of the boat so they so Neptune would know that they were that they sacrificed somebody for him, you know, Poseidon, Neptune. Well, I guess what happened is is that they decided somebody instead of sacrificing carved the head of a person and they put that out there, and their and their voyage was fine. So that's when it started becoming putting that person, and I guess it's turned more into a lady now, in front of the ship, because it's like the sacrifice to the gods. Oh, I want that to be true. That's cool. I know. Isn't that fucking cool? That's what I told <laughs> Shannon. I was like, that's so freaking cool. Hopefully that's true. And I was like, that's very interesting. So, so it was a little tidbit like that. But basically, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a ghost story where this guy is on this boat, and there, all of a sudden you had these events going in, in, in kind of into motion. So um, I'm going to kind of read what it says. It's 1914, because I have only gotten through like the first 70, 80 pages of it. I just... I'm, I'm not a very fast reader. So I'm like the first 70 or 80 pages. And he's on the boat, and he's already seen, like, this mysterious woman, like, in the mist. And no one else, and he's like, did you see her? And the guy's like, what are you talking about? So he's seen her a couple times, and he's really homesick, and he's creating a journal to take back to his wife so they can talk about his, you know, travels and everything and blah, 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 blah. So it's in, in 1914, fear and paranoia rule the high seas. Ian Cosgrove is newly married to Jennifer Mason, daughter of a wealthy Scottish merchant. But when Ian leaves for a research trip abroad, the lady, Balgai, last of Dundee's once grand um, sailing fleet, a mysterious chain of events are set in motion, fueled by rum and eerie tales of the crew. They obsess over the ancient superstitions, which Ian dismisses as simple lore until they reach the frigid Arctic seas, because it has to do with icebergs in the Arctic. After a string of tragic accidents, Ian begins to question his belief. Then the ship discovers two castaways, one of the mysterious women, and the events take a sinister turn. So you don't know who the other one is, because it says two. And that's, all the, and that's all I read. And I was like, I'm going to get it. 
and so far, it's pretty damn good. That's so, cool. The kind of recommendation I would say is, is for people you know when you're looking, you know, when you see those things like on BookBub and you click on it, re, you know, read the blurb and see what it is and see if you like it and take a chance, especially if it's free. I put this thing in my Kindle. When did it say that I grabbed it? I grabbed this thing in March, and I just, and I just picked it up now because I get free books a lot and so many other things to review. And this time I was like, you know what, I'm going to pick it up. So five months later I'm now picking up this book, and I'm, I'm glad I did. So that's really neat. And authors tell me all the time that BookBub is amazing. So it is. Yeah. Now the one thing about BookBub I'm going to tell people too is that it is very amazing and it does do what I said. But unless you can garner a bunch of fans and I think it's somewhere around 6,000 fans on BookBub so people so 6,000 people want to follow you. You really only get a hit for about a month, a month and a half, and then that's and then it just starts dying back down again. So you do gain for that that that, that forty five days when after your book bud runs, maybe thirty. Like I said, if you're Kindle Unlimited, especially if you're Kindle Unlimited, and I don't know about the other things because I don't have we don't sell anything else but on Amazon. So I don't know if you how much you get off of Barnes and Noble or Apple or whatnot because I just don't because you if you sell on only on Amazon. You get that Kindle Unlimited, and you get paid for pages read. If you don't, then you get a little lower royalty rate. You don't get Kindle Unlimited, which is like the lending library, <laughs> but you can sell to Amazon, Google, Barnes and Noble, and whatnot. You know, I mean, I think Amazon is at least fifty-two or fifty-five percent of the ebook market. I would and think so. The fund on Kindle Unlimited every month is somewhere like twenty-five to twenty-seven million, and it goes up like like a million every month. So that's the fund that everybody splits. And if you are one of the top books read, you get like a $10,000 bonus on top of whatever it is. So if someone reads your book from start to finish, you basically are getting the same exact amount as if someone bought your book on the royalty rate. That's about how it works. Interesting. So, yeah. So if you can garner 6,000 fans on BookBub, what you can do is you can do little promotions. And then once you have a new release come out, it will release it for you to your fans and let them know that it's out there and you can get pre-orders that way and stuff like that without paying. That's stuff that you don't have to pay for. You don't have to pay if they're going to send out the email for the book club. But for Jay, would have like a new release thing and stuff like that. Um, so that's – if you can get that, then you can start garnering more fans and then you can start maybe taking things off and using it that way more. Um, but if you don't well, – then yeah. you do get a hit, but it's not sustainable. What so. can uh, what can one of our listeners do who, let's say, self-publish something, get into BookBub? Well, okay, so first of all, you have to have so many reviews, and I think the book has to be reviewed like 35 or 40 times. But you go to BookBub.com and you just submit your book. Now, they say that they don't look at publisher or anything else, and then... They, you just submit your book, and then you submit whatever category. So if you're in action invention, you put it in there. Historical fiction, thriller, mystery, you put it in whatever category you write in. So this is the big thing when Jeff and I talk about know what you write so you put it in the right freaking category. Because if you put exactly. it in the wrong category and you're putting a mystery book in a thriller book and then you get thriller readers, they're like, okay, 
this is not a thriller because the pace is probably slow and you're not doing anything, any action or whatnot. So they might not like it. So you're probably going to lose your money if you don't do it right. So that's number one. Make sure you know the exact genre you're sending it out to and whoever you are writing with, make sure that, you know, if you're writing an, a, a Clive Custer kind of book, action adventure. You know, if you're writing a Lee Child kind of book, you know, thriller. If, you know, you're writing um, uh, whatever, uh, whodunit, then you know it's mystery or whatever. Steve Barry, you can do historical fiction if you're, you know, because you're always writing about the past and coming, stuff like that. So you should know. And you just go to BookBub and you submit your book. And then they'll tell you yes or no in a couple, in like in a week or so. They say they only take 20% of the books submitted because they have such a high rate of people. And then you have to wait 90 days to submit again. But you should keep submitting until you finally get it. You know, just keep doing it until you finally get it. And then you pay the price. If you, if you charge $2.99, $1.99, $99 are free, it's different prices. If, you, if it's free, that's the lowest price. But it also goes off of how many emails it's going to go out to. So if you're sending it to, like, Mystery Thriller, right there, or Thriller, I think that's the biggest. So you're going to pay a little more than if you're sending it to, I don't know, um, like Christian, which doesn't have as many people that get that email. So it's based off of that, and it's based off of if you give it away for free, it's the lower price. If you give it away for $2.99, you're going to pay a higher price. And, you, and the reason is, is because you're going to sell books at $2.99, which means you're going to make it up on that end. So the difference is because you're, you know, you're going to sell books. So you're going to make money. Free, you're not making any money per se. So it's, it's a quick um, you pay, but then you're making the money back drastically. Yeah, because if you're selling your book, book for 99 cents or $1.99 or $2.99 and somebody wants to click on it, so, you know, and sometimes you'll see, like, Patricia Cornwell on there. I've seen Karen Slaughter. I've seen Michael Conley. I've seen Lee Child. You know, you see big authors, which, you know, I, which I, which I got to tell you, you know what that does to me? It really pisses me off. That's the <laughs> one thing that I do not agree with. Because for 99% of the authors out there, they are struggling their ass off with marketing. They don't have the budget. They don't have the resources. And they don't have capital behind them. And I'm sorry, Patricia Cornwell, Lee Child, Steve Barry, all those big authors, you know, fuck them for that because that's not fair to take up a spot for someone who really needs the help. They don't need the help. Patricia Cornwell signed over a $20 million, what, six-book deal or something. She doesn't need the fucking help. And if the that's publisher true. wants more money, then they need to put more marketing money outside of these places that we can't, you know, we can't spend a million dollars to get our book into the front shelf of every single Barnes & Noble in the country. We can't do that. Well, and um, I would think the goal of BookBub is to gain new readers, and I would think that that's certainly not an issue with uh, those authors you mentioned. They wouldn't need something like no. that. No, I think, yeah. and I so I so I don't agree. With, I don't think that they should allow. I think that I think I literally think that they should go and find New York Times bestsellers and say, no, we're not putting those in there. We are trying to help other authors. You know, we're trying to help yep. other authors. Um, let me see who is in the book bub today while we're talking about it, because I always save them just in case I want to go back. So today, it was in the true crime. I do true crime. That's Harriet Ryan, murder in room 13. Supernatural suspense is Diana Rowland, touch of the demon for $1.99. Horror is Danielle DeVore, Sorrow's Point. Fantasy is Melissa Wright, Reign of Queens, and that is free. 
Uh, science fiction, S.M. Sterling, Dyer's The Fire. Anybody you recognize yet? Uh, S.M. Sterling I've read. Okay. Julie Feinster, Je- Jefferson's America is History. Uh, John Wukovitz, Tin Can Titans is History. Because they have a couple. Um, Linda Laffery, uh, Historical Fiction is the Girl Who Fought Napoleon. Uh, Alan Maffei, The Unforgiven is Action and Adventure. Joseph Knox, Sirens is Thrillers. Brett Babbles is in here with The Deceived, and that book came out a long time ago. That's true. So, and Brett would be a good guy to do this because, you know, he's not a massive author. I mean, he writes enough, I think, to, you know, I don't think Kevin O'Brien is a massive author, but he writes enough to be able to live, but this would be okay for someone like him to do. But you know what? And then they throw somebody like this in there. So, and then they have Cozy Mysteries as Sarah Fox. Um, Don Lee McKenna is in Crime Fiction. Uh, and that one was a free one, too. Brett Bowles was buck ninety-nine. And then they have this one in here. And I'm sorry, I love her. I think she's a great author. I think she's one of the best, especially a pioneer like Patricia Cornwell that didn't have to write, um, you know, uh, well, maybe she did write romance before she started, now that I think about it. But Sarah Petrusky is in Oh, here. the V.I. Warschowski series. Yeah, the V.I. Warschowski. Did she write? Did, did she? I don't know if she wrote. Um, I don't know if she wrote that. Did, or did she just start writing? I don't know. I don't know if she ever had to do the uh, um, the route of uh, oh, what was I going to say? The route of having to do romance. Oh, I don't think she ever had to do the romance. I don't think so either. You know, like Sandra Brown had the... to do romance. You know, right. Patricia Cornwell didn't have to do romance. But this is a book that came out. And a paperback called Indemnity Only came out in 1991, and they took a spot up for another author on BookBub today for this. And it's 27 years old? Yeah, Indemnity I'm looking on Amazon right now, paperback, 1991, if you click on it. Wow. Interesting. And the original published date, uh, let me see if it has it on here. Let me click on the BookBub and see if it takes me to it. Because there's a link in here, and it takes you straight to the page where you can buy it or do what you got to do. Uh, let's see. It says 2000. And here's the thing. So in the Kindle store today, right now, because of this book bub, it's 115 paid. Overall, okay. in, every, in every one. Yeah. Do you think, though, she needed that help? She already sold how many copies of this book when it first came out way back when? How many copies of these books have she sold over the years? Well, let me ask you this question. Uh, we're going to play Devil's Advocate for oh, a second. Oh, and this was the very first V.I. Rakowski's novel, too. It's the 30th she's anniversary got a new edition. One, she's got a new one coming out here pretty quick. Do you think that's the reason? I don't know. I mean, but I don't give a shit what the reason is. I just think that it's, I think that it's wrong. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's wrong. Okay. I, I'm just thinking that I mean, Sarah Patricia has sold millions and millions of books. She's in every country. People know her. She, Kathleen Turner played her in the movie. I mean, that's right. You know, we had we had an exclusive, we had an exclusive last chapter of one of her books in our magazine that only we had. It's not printed anywhere except in our magazine. And this was about four years ago. When one of her books came out when I interviewed her, and she she was so nice that she gave us this as an exclusive for interviewing her. 
That is cool. Yeah. And but the thing is, is that I mean, she is so popular, and there's nothing in Sarah. She has no. That she does it has nothing to do with her. It's kind of like poor Jeff and his art cover, but it has nothing to do with you know. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Sarah at all because she doesn't do any of the marketing. But what I'm saying is that I just think that it's wrong because you know her royalty is probably seven percent on this book, so she's not making a ton anyway. And the publisher's eating it up, and they had to spend you know. And this is the thing for two ninety nine for this book. If they're if if they have to spend the same amount of money as everybody else. They're, they spent about seven hundred dollars for that. Eight max. Huh. Okay. Eight hundred dollars they spent on that, and now they just got themselves ranked in a hundred and fifteen of overall Kindle books. And you, I know how many copies that is, and that's right now. That didn't include where it was when the when the email first came out. This email's been out for over twelve hours now, so who knows how many people grabbed it already and it could have been a, it could have been higher than that at one point but i mean she probably sold another 25,000 copies of this book because people are going to know yeah. Sarah Petrusky. Oh my god, 2.99, it's a great deal. I'm going to get it cuz it's originally 7.99. So sure people are going to eat it up and buy it. But if they haven't already, yeah, you didn't do anybody else. And this is the 30th anniversary. It's not like the mystery changed. She didn't change the fucking story. It's still the same story. Yeah, no, I, I think so, it has to do with uh, just the publisher marketing the first book because they have a new yeah. one coming out. You know, and again, and 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 I'm just and this and I and I speak and I just speak straight from me. This is my straight talk. You have nothing to do with this either. I mean, you don't have to agree. But oh, no, I just I, think I'm not that saying it's anything. bad. Yeah, her next book coming out is Shell Game in October. Um, I don't think it's bad. I, I mean, uh, I mean, what I think is bad is that you know. Some author who's out there right now struggling to have to get interviewed by our magazine or any other magazine or just try to get on a blog site or try to get some, you know, he's out there Facebooking his ass off or she's out there doing everything that she can, Instagram or whatever they're doing. You know, they just took a spot when they could have spent $700 and maybe gotten themselves, you know, maybe 1,500 new fans in just one day. Believe me. I don't know of an author out there right now that if you said, I'll guarantee you 2,000 new fans right now for $600, they'd be like, done. Yeah. You know. So but, so BookBub is a great, even though it's a little pricey investment. Oh, no, for a reader, it's awesome. And for an author, like I said, if you can get in, do it. It's well worth it if you can get in. Yeah, because millions of people are seeing that email if they're uh, signed up to that particular genre. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to see. I'm trying to find another one. There was Sunday. Or, oh, here's my Saturday book club. Let's see. Sunday didn't have anybody. I mean, Sunday was good. Sunday had had H. Terrell Griffin. I mean, here's one. Richard Lyman, The Island. Um, you know, I mean, that's... <laughs> okay, you don't know that book. I don't know what you're reading. Um... Everything else is pre- oh, Lori R. King. She's on BookBub on Saturday, but no one else. You know, sometimes there's you know Karen Abbott. I mean, she's in here. Um, you know, but she's not a massive household name. I'm not upset with that one. Like I said, I get upset with the the Patricia Cornwells, which I've seen. She was just in there like two weeks ago, and I'm like, honestly, really. I go, how fair is that? And you know what you get sometimes too? Like here's one right here. 
like you'll get box sets. I've picked up like four and five book box sets for free that people have done in fantasy, especially fantasy. That's like you read their trilogy for free, like you can get it for free. And I've done that wow. one. There's one right now, Catalonia Fa. Uh, it's in fantasy, and you get box, and it's three books for 99 cents. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. So you can find these things. So, you know, if you don't know about it, you know, go to, um, oh, there it is. Guess what? Guess who's here on Friday for two ninety nine? originally nine ninety nine, but they have Lee Child's The Affair in there. <laughs> I told you, told you, gets me, man, okay. every fucking time. Just, it just grates me just to be like, God, you know, how can the little guy get ahead when you guys are just taking everything from us? Man, yeah, well. I don't know. <laughs> but, well, what movies are coming out? There's been, like, shit. <laughs> Um, well, I know that um, I was unfortunate that I could not join you with Steve Alton's yeah, man, interview. Uh, he was yeah. cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, uh, the CGI was actually not too bad. I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Oh, yeah, surprised. you mentioned on the show last time. Yeah, but you didn't like the story, actually. No, but, you know, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, Look, I mean, yeah. it's not. It wasn't going to win any awards anyway. It was just to go and have some fun and oh, yeah. just be entertained. You know, yeah, I mean, Jason you know, when you were going awesome. to a movie like that, you weren't going to win any awards with it. It was just like, you know, just go see if you have some fun with it. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I. That, that's what I expected when I went in. It's like yeah. you know, this is not gonna. This is not Jaws by any means because Jaws was a classic. No. Yeah, Jaws is the <laughs> yeah. Class. But, you know, the thing about Jaws, think about this, though, now. So it's everything that we've had coming out. Let's say Jaws never came out, right? Never came out. But now you put Jaws out today. Would it even be close to the amount of same impact? Ooh, no, because the reason the film works so well is because of all the problems they had making it, and they had to improvise. And, well, and the, not the just horror that. of that movie... And, and because no, no one had ever had anything close to like, oh my God, um, you could get eaten by sharks in the water. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, and I cool. think, you know, and I, you know, and I think that Steven Spielberg was a genius in the way that he had um, the little Alex kid get killed like that first, because when he had a kid like that that was like ten, eleven years old, I guess and he died like that, you were like, oh, my God, anything can happen. I mean, because you just didn't see that. And he just had the guy, I mean, I, I think that was the most powerful scene that set the whole thing up for that movie. I don't think it would have worked if it was just a regular adult. Right. That's I think it true. had to I, be I a kid. I think it had to be a kid. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think it had to be a kid. And so... And the whole mayor just um, ignoring, you know, for safety for the sake of greed has become cliche now anyway. But back then it wasn't really. Yeah. No. So I don't think, and I just don't think it would have the scare factor that it would now because I think so many people are, you have to do so much over-the-top horror to make it scary anymore 
that I don't think I don't think people would have walked away from Jaws going, eh, okay. Well, I have to say, uh, when I saw Meg, they had a trailer for The Nun, which is coming out okay. here pretty soon. That movie looks fucking and, freaky, but that's from The Conjuring. Um, well, let's just say that I knew not to watch. I, I don't like that type of horror at all. Oh, and Abby and I are going all, to see that all movie. I, all I know is that uh, there's a point in that trailer when the entire audience screamed bloody murder at the same time, and my friend sitting oh. next to me goes, holy crap. <laughs> I'll tell you what it was. So there's a scene when you see, I think she's a, you see a nun, and I think she, yeah, she's a nun, and she's wearing, like, white, and she's, like, in the tombs, and you see her looking at, like, a shadow that's, like, right in front of her, and you're not sure if it's a person or whatnot, and she starts walking up to it, but as she's walking up to it, you're thinking, okay, this thing's going to come at her. No, from the right-hand side of the screen, something just comes out and grabs her and takes her off, and that's what people gasped at. I guarantee you that was the scene. And that came yep. directly from The Exorcist 3. That's the exact, exact same scene that they used in The Exorcist 3. If you've ever seen that movie, The Exorcist 3. <laughs> oh, and Janine's on hold. So um, oh. we'll get her on in just a second. So, in fact, hold on. Let's do this real quick. Hold on. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to do this up. Janine? Jeannie. Jeannie. Hey, Jeannie. You're alive right now on the, on the radio. We're having such a good time with Jeff and I. So how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. I'm going to tell this story real quick because we were just talking about the nun. And so if you ever see if you, I don't know if you've seen that trailer yet, that horror movie trailer. I don't watch horror movies. Okay. I don't well, blame I, I don't you. know if you happen to – Jeff doesn't either. I don't know if you happen to catch the trailer. But in The Exorcist 3, they had the exact same theme when they're in the hospital, and the nurse is looking at the station, and you think that something's going to come from the front of her, but it comes from the door to the left. And that's, what it okay. is, and that's when you gasp. So they literally took that scene almost identical from Exorcist 3. So that's where that came from. So I guarantee you that's what they all screamed at in the movie theater because that was a shocking scene. So, Jeannie, thank yes. you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So, um, um, so I want to let John everybody know. Yeah, well, I want to let everybody know here. So, you know, this is your, your, your book here is called Her Kind of Case. It's a Lee Isaacs Esquire novel. Um, so that tends us to believe that this is now going to be the first in a series, I would think, um, if you've named it that. But why don't you tell everybody a little bit about the book and what you got going on? Okay, great. So um, the book is called Her Kind of Case, and it is about a female criminal defense attorney uh, who's, been, um, who's been doing this for about uh, 34 years. And, um, and, uh, in, in, and at this point, she's approaching her 60th birthday, and she's wondering just how long she ought to stay at the fair. She doesn't want to leave too late, and uh, she um, is a little worried about, um, you know, just not being at the very top of her game, which is the only acceptable way for her to be. And at the same time, she takes the case of a 16-year-old kid who is accused of helping a group of skinheads kick a gay man to death. And the, um, and, the, and the kid has actually confessed to it, so it is a really tough case. 
So that's the beginning. Very cool, very cool. So um, could you talk a bit about your profession prior to writing and what made you decide that you wanted to write this particular story? What inspired you? Okay, so um, I was a criminal defense attorney in Colorado for 35 years, and um, it was a privilege and an honor to do that. And I love doing it, but it was also, um, uh, it takes a, a huge toll on you as well. And, um, and like my main character, Lee Isaacs, I too worried about when was the right time to leave when I could still stand up straight and my reputation was still intact. But um, right. I had a lot of really tough cases and I actually did, uh, early on in my career, I actually did represent uh, a 16-year-old boy who was accused of participating in what they all termed a, a boot party. And a boot party is a party where, I guess, a, ben- a bunch of them get together and, and kick somebody to death. And so I represented this young man uh, who was uh, a skinhead and um, and as it turned out, I, I actually ended up um, having a lot of um, uh, empathy and um, compassion for him. He was a pretty lost kid and uh, was out on his own uh, on the streets. And, um, and I think that I, uh, I didn't try the case, but I kept him from being uh, in the adult prison system so that um, I think I saved his life, and I think he was very grateful, and I think that he went on to go to college, and he even, I think, spent uh, the first money that he made uh, trying to get rid of some of the worst tattoos that were on his arms. And I, I remembered that case, and, uh, and that had an impact on me. And also, I, I, I thought that when I finished being a criminal defense attorney, and looking back on it, um, I always have always wanted to be a writer and I have been writing at the same time as lawyering, but um, kind of running back and forth between the two. And so I knew that when I quit uh, being a, being a lawyer altogether, that I would uh, go to, to writing full time. And, um, and this is my second novel, but um, what I thought on this book was that I really wanted to write a book about what it's really like to be a criminal defense attorney, to take a really tough case, um, work as hard as it really takes uh, to get the best result possible, um, how much work it takes, um, describe the emotional and physical toll that it takes when you have someone's life in your hands. And, um, and I also, I, I wanted to write a funny book about that because, in fact, in my um, experience, the vast majority of criminal defense attorneys have a very well-developed dark sense of humor, or we couldn't do what we do. Right. So, yeah, cool. so those are some of the main reasons I, I decided <laughs> to take the case. And, um, and I also, I guess it's a way of being able to continue lawyering without the actual stress of doing it. That sounds good. Well, you know, the one thing that the, the, the one thing that you mentioned was was the emotion, and I don't think a lot of people really understand. Of course, you know, when you see like a TV show, 
let's just pers- let's just say that and you see a lawyer or you see a police officer you're only seeing them on the job i mean i know that they try to do like how it affects the family and how it does those things but how real did you want that part of your character to be when you were writing the book was that a conscious decision that you were making or was it something that just kind of manifested itself while you were writing it well you know every main character is so different and you know there are some books about criminal defense attorneys where the criminal defense attorneys you know in their in their private time drink or do drugs or end up uh, screwing up their lives in other ways where they're expressing um, the stress of what they do in you know not such great creative ways and you know other lawyers you know they somehow managed to balance it a little bit better. But um, my character, um, I was interested in having this uh, woman be a, um, what she does in her other, other part of her life is she's a fifth degree black belt in Taekwondo. And, um, and she basically uh, spends all of her time either defending people or kicking them. Um, she's a, she's a, a fifth-degree black belt, or, and she spends all of her time in the dojo, or she's a criminal defense attorney, and she's working really hard on her cases. And that's the way she balances her life. But, you know, everybody is very, very different. But this was my idea of a really interesting character. I, I thought she, she was an have, interesting character. <laughs> Well, and and she she doesn't have too many friends. She's pretty self-contained, and um, and she plays it pretty close to the to her vest. I mean, she's uh, she's not that effusive, but uh, I think she's really interesting in a kind of grouchy, ambitious, kind, um, really intelligent way. Well. Uh, first of all, I'm not going to mess with you because I know you have a black belt as well. But <laughs> but, uh, but I'm only wondering a, only a third degree black belt, not a fifth. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got we got world... we got like no degree white belts, so we're not messing with any degree <laughs> of any black belt. <laughs> yeah, if there were couch belts, I'm in. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering if the world of CSI and Law and Order on television made your job as an attorney and now as a writer difficult? Well, um, first of all, I don't watch that much. Well, I don't really watch almost any television. I mean, I'm aware of those shows. But uh, it's true that every time um, I was in front of a jury, I would try to remind people that things don't get resolved in the same neat little ways that they do in television shows and in movies and really stress that, um, that the, you know, that the um, burden is on the prosecution to prove the case beyond reasonable doubt. And that um, sometimes they, the jury might end up being very dissatisfied at the end because they're not really sure exactly what happened, but then they should fall back on the fact that um, if they do have a reasonable doubt, and I point out, all the ways that they should and, and the reasons why, then they just have to acquit my client, even if they have some residual feelings of being uh, worried that maybe they did do the crime or that the prosecution is leaving things out. I mean, it's just not cut and dried and 
and, and all sewn up at the end the way um, Perry Mason or CSI or a lot of the other shows. So they're fairly, um, sometimes they hit the nail on the head, but a lot of times it's uh, overly dramatic or just really unrealistic. And I actually wanted to write a book that I thought was very realistic um, in the way that uh, Lee takes the case on and handles it and how she uses her investigators and how much work it really takes uh, to take a case like that, especially if someone was charged with murder. And um, it's, you just have to be dogged and persistent and creative and uh, determined, and all of that goes into it. Now, do you do a lot of reading on your own? Do you do a lot of fiction reading and stuff on your own? I do read a lot. Um, I don't read that many. I do read some books that are legal dramas or legal thrillers, but um, but I, I I often read other books that um, that that aren't really like that. I mean, I I would. Um, someone recently asked me some of my favorite novels that have really knocked me out in my life. And um, I would say off the top of my head that um, uh, all of Jane Austen's novels, um, all of Virginia Woolf's novels, um, I loved The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. I loved The Hours by um, Michael Cunningham. And um, I loved The Blind Assassin by Margaret Atwood, who I think is just a wizard as far as being a writer. She's a genius. So yeah, she's yeah. beyond, I mean, I don't even know how she does what she does. It's not that I could ever even learn a thing about writing because she's really from a different planet as far as, um, she's a genius, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, because the reason I was wondering is because when, you know, like like you said, I mean, this is your second novel, but this is your first kind of in this genre uh doing it this way so did you were you thinking about not trying to emulate any kind of author maybe out there today in that genre but somebody that you were like you know striving to maybe be like that writes uh like legal thrillers well um i i i think that scott Turow is a good writer um and i think uh you know that some of Christian's novels are okay, although they are often just so unbelievable that I I can't really um, I can't really enjoy them as much as maybe people that aren't lawyers um, might. But mostly, when I just read really really good, well-written novels, um, I I aspire to just be a better writer and. Um, and when I see someone who just, ha, you know, knows how to use the right word and, and evokes a feeling, um, you know, a, a, a tone or something that just, uh, just knocks me out, I don't necessarily think I would do that, but I want to do my version of that. I, you know, I, I want to, um, I, when I write, and I think probably like most writers, I write so that the reader could hopefully feel my heart beat. I want to connect, and I want, them, I want people to feel 
what what I felt when I was writing, and when books are able to do that, I'm uh, I think that you know when I read a really good book where I could really feel the writer's heartbeat, um, I think it's a reason to go on living, and I just want to contribute my art in my own little small way in the same way. I I, I love that description because. Writers talk about, you know, uh, the blood that they put into their books as well. And uh, that's just (laughs) such a vivid image. I love this. It's great. Um, So you started off writing short stories, though, and I'm wondering what sort of sparked you to decide to jump to writing a novel, your first one, For the City Light. Well, so, um, you know, back, um, I I, I actually – have wanted to be a writer since I was five years old. And, um, and I started writing poetry when I was five years old. And uh, back then I was very influenced by the Three Stooges and used a lot of their imagery in my poetry. And then later um, I wrote lots and lots of poetry all through um, um, my teenage years and my early twenties. And, um, and I loved writing poetry, but I, it was, there was something about spending 100 hours writing a poem where every single word, you know, mattered so much, and then somebody would read it in 30 seconds and say, well, that was great, and then they, that would be it. And I, that was really not satisfying to me. So um, then I tried short stories, and I actually felt like, and I still feel like short stories are the hardest medium. Uh, they're the hardest things to write for me anyways. I, I can't, I, I could never really get how to write a short story. Um, at, I just, it, it, it didn't sing to me and I knew that I was going to, the only thing left was to try to write a novel. And I found really early on when I started writing novels and I've written actually a number of other novels. I mean, my first real novel will always remain under my bed. And then the second novel that I wrote was actually the first one that got published called The Furthest City Light. And then this one, Her Kind of Case, is actually my third. But what I found was that I love being in the middle of a story. I hate the beginning. I hate beginnings. And, um, and I, I feel like I think some writers have described that when they settle down for a year or two and, and start writing, they just move in somewhere and they get really cozy and they go deep into the characters and it's another life. And then when, they're, when it's over, you have to move out. And then it's horrible to try to think about where you're going to move to next. It's just awful. And so if you were writing short stories, you would be doing that constantly and that would be horrible. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't like writing short stories. I'll never write another short story again. I only want to write novels. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So that. Uh, oh, I lost my colleague here. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I, I'm um, going to ask you. Oh, you oh, know what? Let me ask sorry. you another. Hold on. Sorry. Where'd you sorry, go? Sorry, 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 sorry. I, I thought I unmuted myself. Um, I don't want any background noise. So, okay. Well, what well, I was, was going to say, I, I tried to do that and I can't do it. 
I try to I, mute I, him all the time. <laughs> I know. I try to. I have to mute myself. So what I was saying was, let's talk about um, some of the other characters in your book, some of the secondary characters that you have in your book. Sure. Which one of those, um, one or maybe two, surprised you along the way while you were writing? Um, well, uh, let's see. Surprised me? Well, I, I mean, I have to say that I, I loved writing the scenes between Lee and her father, um, her father Aaron, who um, is 84 and lives on the East Coast, so they have their conversations, um, you know, at about, uh, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night in Colorado, and it's uh, midnight on the East Coast, and they have these really poignant, interesting quirky conversations that are somewhat reminiscent of the conversations I used to have with my father before he died when he was older and uh, he had a kind of a melancholy um, dark sense of humor and uh, he was just a really interesting guy and so I was kind of patterning um, Aaron on him but Aaron became himself I mean he wasn't my father he was really Aaron uh, Isaacs and uh, he was a very quirky guy and, um, and and one of the surprises in the very first scene when Lee calls her father at, towards the beginning of the book and Aaron is telling her how he is kind of obsessed with Amy Winehouse and he's watching all of her videos on YouTube and um, and I, I had I personally have, was not that uh, crazy about Amy Winehouse until my character uh, starts kind of waxing eloquent about her on the page, and then and then then I got um, kind of obsessed about Amy Winehouse. She'd already died, and then I started. I probably spent the next three or four months just watching all of her videos uh, on YouTube. But it really came from my character, so that was just a surprise. <laughs> and. Um, oh. <laughs> I know, and and now I, you know, I, I. So sometimes your characters really tell you things that you you really didn't expect, and um, and you're moved by them, or, or your life is even maybe changed a little by them. And I guess maybe the other character that was a real surprise was um, uh, the original public defender who um, who um, originally represents the uh, the teenager in the book, Jeremy. Um, the original public defender, I thought he was just going to have the case and, and hand it off to Lee, and I didn't realize he was going to have that much of, um, of a, a part in the book. And somehow he just, could have, he just sort of elbowed his way right back on a few chapters later and then became this part of the team, and, um, and I was very fond of him, and, uh, and I just uh, kind of loved there back and forth um uh, he was just a, a deer even though he had some you know obvious you know domestic and you know alcohol problems a little bit but he was he was a great guy and uh he just kind of popped onto the page and then and then wanted much more of a part than i was originally thinking i was going to give him so those are wonderful surprises that happen to you along the way when you're settled into your house and you're writing your book and uh, you never want to leave 
I, I love it when I'm writing too. Then a character you think, oh, they're just uh, peripheral, and then all of a sudden they're like taking over the story. You're like, where does this come from? Right. I love that when that happens. Right. They just, they just, um, you. I mean, there's some part of your mind that has obviously uh, breathed some life into them. But then, you know, when they take off, that's when you know that the story is actually really working, and you've got a really good shtick going. How difficult do you find it to write about the world that you know of legal and yet make all the mundane stuff entertaining to the reader? Well, um, I, first of all, I, I, um, I, you know, it is there, it, you know, it takes a certain kind of skill to write legal, you know, legal, uh, um, arguments or legal rulings or make the law accessible, but you know that's the only way to to do it. I mean, it's so fun to be able to explain uh, what's happening in a legal case to somebody who never went to law school and have them just just say, "Wow, I had no idea. This makes so much sense to me. You made it accessible, but you didn't dumb it down." And um, and that's you know that's that's a challenge when you're writing um, uh, something that you have a certain expertise about and you don't want to just dumb it down and, um, and make it, um, you know, just so, so reduced that it's, you know, it's not really, you want to, you want to have the, all the complexity that it has, but you need to write it in a way that obviously a non-lawyer can really enjoy it. And um, I, I hope that I was able to do that in the book. And um, I also, I, um, I hate, I, you know, I, the kind of books that I write, I'm hoping at least that they really kind of zip along. I think they're page turners and that I really don't want to write any boring scenes at all. And I try to make the dialogue really zip along as well. So um, I, I am not a huge fan of a lot of detail in writing. I like spare writing and that's the kind of writing that I do. I just want to have the one or two details that I think really um, just kind of shine a light on the whole scene or, you know, give the reader the real sense of what's happening with just a few small details that I hope are, you know, chosen correctly. So it's not, I don't write flowery, flowery, um, lots of detailed kind of writing. I, it, I don't like it, so I don't like to read it, and so then I, I don't write it either. Well, that, that, that's a good. Uh, I think that's a good way to do it, and I thought it worked really well for your book here. Um, I have to ask because you're yes. you, you used to be a lawyer. Why do you think people with your background turn around and become novelists? <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> it's true. I, you know, it's true. I think a long time ago, I just thought, you know, I at least half the lawyers I knew uh, were always saying, uh, I, I'm sure I have a book in me. I know I've got a book in me. I should be writing like you are or whatever. But um, uh, there is something, there is a connection, true, between lawyering and writing and uh, maybe trial lawyers and writers. Um, I'm not sure that a corporate lawyer has the same a burning desire to write novels, but um, trial lawyers are a certain breed, whether it's criminal or um, um, civil. Um, you know, they love to tell stories. Um, they, you know, it is really a huge part of the um, 
of of the job to um, engage, you know, the jury or the judge and tell a story that really can move uh, the other side or the the intended audience and get them to 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 vote your way. And so it is kind of a natural skill that you um, that you learn and you uh, hone. And then it would make sense then to turn to writing. Uh, where you use the same kind of expertise to to tell a story to a reader. Hmm. I think I just made oh. that up, but I think it really makes sense. <laughs> hey, it works. I like that. It works. <laughs> so, so, Jean, can, tell everybody, uh, like, where's the best place to find out more about your writing and your books and, you know, your social media and all that fun stuff? Well, so, again, the book is called Her Kind of Case, and um, it's available. Um, you can get it on Amazon, um, or um, you can get the ebook or the um, the hardcover copy that way. And um, it's published by Bancroft Press, which is a wonderful indie press, and uh, they are just fabulous publishers, by the way. And um, and uh, uh, you could. Um, I'm updating my website as we speak, and hopefully within the next week. Uh, my updated website will um, cover this book as well as my last one, so that you could go to www.geniewiner.com uh, um, and read about me there. And um, there's a number of uh, wonderful. Uh, I got some wonderful um, starred reviews from Kirkus Library Journal and Booklist oh, um, that made me very, very happy, and of course made my publisher even happier. And uh, so uh, uh, I'm just going around and trying to talk about it. And, uh, and so far, the reviews and the response that I've gotten from readers has been really wonderful, and it makes me very happy. Very well, nice. thanks for coming on our show, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thank oh, you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. it. Not a problem. Thank you for having yeah. me. Yeah. So, all right. Hey, well, you have a great night. And we will talk with you soon. And good luck with the book. Again, it is called Her Kind of Case. So make sure you check it out. Um, like you said, available on Amazon, and you can go get it right now. So thank you so much again for joining us, Jeannie. You have a great one. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Right, bye-bye. To bye-bye. It was bye-bye. fun. Take care. So again, everybody, go out and get it. It is Jeannie Weiner, and the book is called Her Kind of Case. And you can go to JeannieWiner.com for more information. Like you said, she's going to get her website updated with more information. So, you know, go check it out. Um, other than that, Jeff, man, I guess, uh, how's everything going? We're doing good. <laughs> We're doing good. Uh, so we'll be back in two weeks with the two more yep. guests. And uh, yep. I'll find out what happened with Sean. Don't know what happened. He's probably yep. out killing people, is my guess. So. Uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, he's out researching his next novel. Yeah. Well, but I guess I'll, I'll we should at least mention the book. It's called Man of War, and it's an Eric Steele novel. Um, can you tell? Did you read it? I did. I not. did. I gave it a starred review in Booklist, actually. Can you give um, us a little it, bit of? I mean, even though he's not here, can you give us a little bit about the, what the review and what the book is about? Yeah, sure. Um, so Eric Steele is—they um, call him an alpha. It's one of those uh, special ops guys. And basically, he ends up having to battle somebody that um, to to save the world. The the one person that he can't defeat is who he has to fight. I'll leave it at that. It's it's very well done. 
and it reads like it's uh, his thirtieth book and not his first. And so, well, he, he wrote a nonfiction book before. This is his first novel, so it didn't read like. So, his first so give novel. us a couple authors. Good. So since it's his first book, give us a couple authors that people would recognize that would be with him. Oh, so he'd be you know in the Brad Taylor and uh, Brad Thor world. So okay. if you like those type of books, you definitely would like this. And it comes out next week. We were going to oh, get okay, him good. early before he does his blitz, but uh, don't know what happened. So okay. hope he's doing Maybe well, he and uh, people should read the so, book. You know, at least you know, at least it was better than that one guest that we had who called into the show drunk, and we had to make sure that they got home okay. So if he did, because yeah, he blitzed, was driving at the time, that was pretty scary. Yes. If he did get blitzed, at least he didn't come on the show. He just maybe passed out. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm sure know. it just for, yeah. We'll we'll find out. Yeah, but anyway, we'll read the book out. and uh, read Jeannie's book too. Is good. So yeah, a lot of yes. stuff and uh, and there's some new stuff coming up on the horizon. Like you know, we have a lot of new stuff coming out. I know that I'm sure you probably got the same you know books that uh, that we got. Um, so yeah. Yeah, there's some good stuff coming of, out. I'm very excited. I gotta get a couple. I'm gonna pick up. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm, I'm really gonna be interested. In. I don't know what kind of book I want to read. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna pick up by genre. I'm not gonna really look at the author. I'm just gonna kind of, you know, pick it up by genre and see what I can find and just start flipping back covers and seeing what intrigues me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have some upcoming reads here. I'm very excited about. Um, so Which one's on your list? Which one's on uh, your list? Brad Milk. Um, Brad Meltzer's done a nonfiction book, which okay. I'm dying to read. And uh, November Road by Lou Burney is getting raves, and I've got a copy now. I'm looking forward to diving into that. Okay. And uh, I have Lisa Unger's new book, too, and I adore her stuff. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Maybe we can get Lisa on. Uh, I'll ask her. We should. She's she's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? We have but to have I'm our annual. Two... Kevin O'Brien's yes. got to come on here soon. <laughs> we got to bug him for sure. You yeah. know, we got to get Kevin on this show. What the hell? <laughs> I mean, what, I mean, he's always what is he like? He's like October, isn't he? Is he always around like October that we have him on? Yeah, and I think his books come out, so uh, I'm seeing him next week. I'll ask him. Yeah, and I know that because um, I know October is always my Tasha Alexander month, so I'm going to have her on my Saturday show, and then February is always my Lisa Gardner month, so I always have her on in February. So it's like. I think I think Kevin O'Brien is our October show. He's like our October guest that we have coming <laughs> up. And and you know we'll probably have John Land to come on and talk about Murder, She Wrote, and we might just do a whole hour just to talk about the show and everything else um, with John. Well, that'd his be book fun. That comes, his manuscript for Murder, which comes out uh, November 1st, so we'll contact him and we'll get him on the show. And, you know, once you get John on, we might do an hour and a half. You just never know when <laughs> you get going. <laughs> Shit. Oh, it's a, and that's a good thing, though. Yeah, that's a great man. I mean, just a great friend and just great conversation. It'll be good to see you guys next July. We are going to go to Thriller Fest, so it's going to be good. Okay. We are um, thinking, and I'm just saying we're thinking, so I don't want a lot of emails yet, but we are thinking about opening up um, submissions to Suspense Publishing to start uh, taking new people on now. So, yeah, so not yet, but it's coming, and we're going to go to Thriller Fest, and I'll probably end up doing Pitch Fest. So. Okay, that will be great. Yep, 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 yep. So we'll see you guys all finally next year in July in New York. All right, cool. Yeah, so. Yeah, and all right, uh, then, man. folks, well, BoucherCon is on this week. So people yep, going to BoucherCon, let us know how it goes. Oh, yeah, and then PNWA is when? Next weekend. 
Next weekend. Okay. So R.L. Stein. Who? That's the big one you guys got there this year? Yeah, R.L. Stein's coming, so I'm very excited. Um, so wait a second. So BoucherCon and PNWA are in the same? No, the BoucherCon is this weekend, and then PNWA is next weekend. Oh, ooh, that's a tough one. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so cool. Okay. Well, that's cool. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, do have a great evening, everybody. And uh, yep, you guys have a great one, and we'll see you all in two weeks uh, with PJ Tracy and who's the other guest? Boyd Morrison. Going to talk oh, about his new right. customer novel. Talk like customer yeah. Boyd. The boys back. That's right. That's right. We're gonna have the three of us back together. We haven't talked to I haven't talked to Boyd in a couple of years. God, since last oh, PNWA, I think. Oh man, we got to Yeah, no, it'll be fun. Yeah, talk about um, is it Tyrants something? I think that's the name of the book. Shadow right? Tyrants. Shadow Tyrants. Yep, that's what it is. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I just got it. I mean, I got the early copy and I didn't read it, and I finally got the finished one. So I got to try to hurry up and read that one before uh, he comes on. I've, I've read the I read the early one. They haven't sent me the finished one. Shame on them. I got I got to oh, contact somebody. Well, <laughs> yeah, I got the early one, and you know what? And it was in the middle of everything, and I knew I was going to grab it, and it just totally slipped my mind to grab it. And then all of a sudden, the finished one came like like the week and a half ago, and I was like, son of a bitch, I totally forgot to review it because I did the other ones. Um, what was it? The uh, Emperor's. The one with the racing revenge. thing on the cover. Yeah, it was Revenge. And then, um, and then what was his first one? This is his third or fourth. You're not supposed to ask me questions. All right, hang I on. I think this is his fourth. Oh, He's working on a new one now. Hang on. I got it. Hang on. Uh, so he's done. Three, Piranha, Emperor's Revenge, and Typhoon Fury. This is Typhoon the new one, Shadow Fury. Times. Fury. Yeah, yes. what was the first one? No, he's done first four. One, it, the first one, he did Piranha. Piranha and, then and Emperor's, Emperor's Revenge. Revenge. Yeah, and then I did Typhoon, Typhoon Fury, Fury and now Shadow Tyrants. I yeah. did not so read Typhoon this is Fury. Fourth. I, I, I skipped that one, so I, that's why we didn't have them on. I totally forgot to read that one. It was good. Yeah. So which one out of the four... Well, which one of the four do you think is the best? Oh, um, i got to go with Emperor's Revenge, personally. You know, I almost, I think I'm going to say the same thing. <laughs> I think I'm going to say the well, same thing. Now, I, and I thought, I have, so right now I've only read those two, so Emperor's Revenge and Piranha. So when I read Shadow Tyrants, I'll see, and then i got to go back and read Ty, Typhoon, uh, Typhoon Fury. But, yeah. yeah, Emperor's Revenge was good. I thought he emptied yeah. from Piranha to Emperor's Revenge. Like I think he was like testing the waters to kind of see if it was going to be okay. And then Boyd kind of wrote more of a Boyd book. If people haven't read his Tyler Locke series, go get it. I mean, honestly, it is fabulous. And you see a lot more Boyd in Emperor's Revenge, which is what I liked. Well, and uh, if I remember right, Tyler Locke has a cameo. Yeah, he does. That's right, he does. <laughs> yeah. He let him have a cameo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I love those things. That's yep. right, yeah. So, All right, then, everybody. I'll see you in two weeks. You have a great show then. So until next time, keep reading. Good night.